For more than six months now, Iranians have been bravely protesting against the state by taking to the street, chanting Zan Zendegi Azadi, or Woman, Life, Liberty, as well as many other anti-regime slogans. Iranians continue to show the world that they seek a government that represents their interests and their values, which are currently not found at all inside the government of the Islamic Republic of Iran. This week on Foreign Policy, join me, FDD Senior Fellow Behnam Ben Talablu, in conversation with Darya Safai, who is an Iranian-Belgian author, human rights activist, and politician who also serves as a member of the Belgian Chamber of Representatives since 2019. So, Darya Jan, you know, you have a story that is very similar to uh, a lot of Iranians in the diaspora, meaning that you had to flee your homeland. You're an active member of the Belgian Chamber of Representatives, and you've been there for a few years now. But the part that began with your political activism in Iran, can you talk about your engagement there on the streets? You were active in the 1999 protests, but your confrontation with the regime was almost on a daily basis as as a young woman, confrontation with their law enforcement and security forces. And and didn't some of those activities, Dairajan, land you in in jail for 20-plus days? Talk briefly about that experience, the, you know, the prison you were taken to, the, the you know, a, a young girl, age 22, 23, uh, having to go to jail for 20 plus days. Uh, could you tell our, our, our listeners a little bit about that? Because unfortunately, that's something that has continued uh, in the decades since you left your home country in Iran. Right. Uh, when um, at that moment of protest, you feel strong, you feel that you are strong altogether. And I was not alone. There were so many other Iranians which hoped to take back their own countries. Of course, you are full of energy and you have a big hope. But unfortunately, the crackdown was very heavy. Exactly what they are doing after each protest. So at that moment, they came to um, the home of my parents. They caught me and they brought me to the prison, to the jail. And, you know, as a young woman with so much hope in the future, then you see yourself as a bird in cage. But even at that moment, um, like there are lots of political prisoners, you are so courageous to say that we don't want you and we are going to continue to take back our country. But of course, it is so heavy to sit there and every time to think about, am I the one who will be executed uh, next day? Because they are doing that every time. That after a big protest, they want to make the people fear of them. They terrorize, they want to terrorize the people and uh, keep them silent. That's what, why they are trying to execute several people to give a lesson, to make a, a signal, a obvious signal to other people that they should be silent. And uh, this is a story of torture that you will never forget. And that's why in the crackdown of last um, six months, when they killed a lot of innocent people on the streets and when they... Um, um, took a lots of innocent people as political prisoner. Even we knew we didn't know how many they are until recently. They told that like eighty thousand of them are uh, uh, free, 
then I understood, wow, there were like 80,000 people in prison, just innocent because they have another idea. They did it to us as well. We were in the prison. Uh, I was in an individual prison, very little, small one. And uh, days of um, investigations like um, asking where you were, what you did. And if they didn't have an answer, they made you like they wanted you to break down. At that moment, you should be very strong, like Iranian people are in, in the prison. They cannot break these people because they believe in freedom. They believe in what they are doing. And they know that the way is long, very difficult and hard. But this is the only way to get their rights back, to be a citizen of a country which is happy and to take your country back. And of course, uh, those things that we have done uh, were not only for women's rights, we have done a lot protesting women's rights because we were like uh, second-class citizens. We, as a woman, we wanted to be um, a citizen like every other people because we didn't have even the right to go out the home if our, our male um, uh, relevant father or your husband didn't want it. We couldn't go the country out if they didn't want it. We couldn't even go and study if um, your father or if your husband is against your studying, he can keep you at home. Those are the laws. Fortunately, that the Iranian people and men, they don't abuse their um, rights. But this is what a woman has been uh, kept out of it. You are not a first class citizen. And that was uh, the reason that we were on the street. But not only that one. We wanted the freedom of uh, speech. We wanted the uh, freedom of uh, thoughts, and we wanted uh, to have an economy like we deserve. Um, and we wanted to take back our country, like the Iranian people nowadays they are doing after forty-four years. There's there's great continuity in 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 what you mentioned, Daria John, because while that struggle uh, that you were part of as a young university student uh, is again about two decades old, uh, it's new again and it's fresh again because the problems have only gotten worse. Everything you've mentioned, uh, economic, political, social, environmental, religious, uh, and even on the foreign policy front. Um, that's a story that I know you you have written about again uh, to remind the reader to remind the the listeners today. You've written two books, one in 2015 and one in 2018, about your experiences and uh, the situation uh, in Iran. But maybe we can pivot now to the actual uh, protest that you see from a distance rather than you participating in on the street. Uh, you've seen different iterations of Iranian street protests. Uh, obviously, you know, you got to Belgium, I think, around the year 2000 or 2001. Uh, and then as of 2019, you've been in the Belgian parliament. So you've seen these protests from a different vantage point at different times. You've seen the green movement of 2009. Uh, you've seen uh, the different iterations of labor strikes starting in 2011 and continuing. And then you saw really what I like to call it, and some of our friends and colleagues here like to call part of Iran's national revolution, uh, begin in December 2017 and continue in different iterations. Can you help for some listeners break down these different iterations of protests 
because many of them will say that if there's not protests every single day, that the regime is winning every single day. How should different international observers look at these protests? Are they connected? Are they disconnected? How do we know uh, the protesters are winning? How do we know the protesters are losing? Uh, and you know, in general, what's your theory of all of these uh, disparate but still connected protest movements that you've witnessed uh, from a part of, and that you have you know been able to support from a distance as well? Yeah. This is a very important issue because, um, as you know, uh, like you have told, there are several protests which is going, growing up bigger and bigger in a month of people, and which um, the the period of time between them will be, uh, is coming shorter and shorter. As you see, this is uh, not only a protest; this is a revolution in time which is going on until the day that it is it is successfully finished. And the successfully finishing of this revolution is the day that the Iranian can have a democratic, secular country, and then they can take their country back. They are going forward toward this uh, goal. And um, as you know, none of the dictatorial um, regimes um, and none of the totalitarian regimes, and especially the religious form, will continue to um, stay in power. Um, and they are going to finish one day. Um, the people of Iran making it a sort of happening sooner because um, culturally they are not extremists. They are not the people who can go in a religious culture which is going to through the politics of every day. They cannot bear it. They are free people. They have a very strong history, a very long one. Uh, and they have a sort of culture which is already made. You can never change it. Maybe you can suppress it some several years. But anyway... It's going to uh, stay strong until the day that this culture will finish the future of this Ayatollah, which doesn't belong to the Persian culture, the Iranian culture, which is such an old one and such a good one to be fear of, um, uh, to be proud of. Sorry, this is a sort of culture that you can be um, proud of and base your. Um, uh, protest and revolution on it and go forward to take back your country. And that's what Iranians are doing. So uh, let's say uh, the Iranian, the Persian, they know that um, a religious regime that um, coming uh, sort of um, Sharia law and the politics of the country cannot help them go forward. So what they want is that you can believe in whatever you want. In a free Iran, everyone can have their own religion. religion uh, but we don't want the religion decide for the daily life. So this is a sort of uh, what we call in Europe um, and in, in West countries, secularism, um, making it apart. The religion uh, from uh, daily life is what the Iranians want. And also they want democracy. Um, but they can uh, themselves decide for which sort of country they want to have. 
Um, as you know, this is also uh, very important for the uh, things that uh, belong of um, uh, how how can I explain the the interests of the West country? The the West countries should dream of such a, a peaceful country in Middle East, uh, as you know, uh, what the Iranian want to make for their future. Um, democratic, secular country is in the interest of the West countries, and that's why I am the um, heart in the heart of um, democracy in Europe, in Brussels. Um, I am asking attention for the point that a future democratic Iran is a good point for the West countries in place of having a terrorist regime. Which um, uh, on the base on the base of every day they threaten the West countries with their uh, terrorism. Um, having such a peaceful future for Iran is what the West countries should dream of, and that's why they should help the Iranian people. They should help their revolution, which is a very important one in the history. It can change the whole history. They should support it. Iranian people, they are writing history at this moment. If you help them to keep this pen and write this history correctly, we can all be happy in the world. We can make uh, the right thing for the future of the world thanks to Iranian people because they are the one who goes on the streets. They are the one who go and fight against this monster of regime of Ayatollahs. And they are the ones who give their lives for making this future happen. At least it is our responsibility to support them and make it happen. You know, Daria John, you, you mentioned it was a very rich statement you just made because there was two or three things that policymakers on both sides of the Atlantic, uh, not just in Brussels, but in London, in Paris, in Berlin, and also most obviously here in North America, in, uh, in the US, but also in Canada, need to take to heart. You made a very important point about culture, and you made a very important point about interests. And the point about culture... Uh, I think we should run towards and not run away from. And there is a word, you know, sometimes people use uh, this phrase, Iranian regime. Uh, some of my friends and colleagues in FDD know I don't like that word, uh, precisely because of what you said, which is that there's nothing Iranian about this regime. When you look at the 44-year Islamic Republic, it's an aberration to Iranian history. It's an aberration to Iranian culture. Some would say even it's an insult uh, to the culture uh, that, you know, you are rightly so proud of. So that's one point. And then the other is the interests, which is, this is not charity. This is one of the few places in the Middle East where strategy, the interests of foreign powers aligns with the values 
uh, of those foreign powers. And the interests of the Iranian people aligns with the values. And there's a nice convergence. Seldom do we get to see that today. Look at the debates America is having now in the month of March 2023 about the 20th anniversary of the Iraq invasion. Look at the national discourse over uh, is Saudi Arabia a partner? Look at the tumultuous debate over NATO, uh, over Turkey, which is in NATO, but is led by Erdogan. Uh, look at the, the, the tug of war over the Israeli-Palestinian issue uh, from the American campuses to the American elite. So much of American strategy and, and values are changing when it comes to uh, Middle Eastern issues. But I think you rightly pointed out for the, the listeners today why the Iran issue still is one of convergence of strategy uh, and values. And so I wanted, I wanted to press you on this because this is, this is really key to know. What is the landscape like in Europe? Do they see it this way? Do they see this convergence of strategy and values, particularly among the policymakers that you engage with? Uh, I want to make sure the audience knows, and we'll get into this question in a second, uh, about uh, your work in the Belgian parliament, but specifically uh, the call to marry that strategy and values when it comes to doing something like trying to get the European Union, uh, which as you know, and for our audience, is headquartered uh, right in Brussels, uh, trying to get them to list the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps as a terrorist organization. That was something that took America a decade almost to do. Uh, and so I, I am watching your fight from a distance, knowing that American political timeline and knowing the challenges of the European political landscape. Uh, but I would love for you to elaborate on some of those challenges uh, and what uh, you're facing as a parliamentarian in Europe who is trying to stand with the Iranian people? Um, actually, what I am seeing and I am feeling is um, it has taken a lot of time until, um, even until the Iranians, they express themselves like this. But nowadays, when they are so courageous, when they given everything to make a uh, that revolution uh, finish in success, I think the world is um, sort of is waking up, not yet awake. They are not still um, the, at that point that we want them to be, but they are looking at it carefully and they are listening to uh, the message of Iranian carefully. And this is the begin of um, uh, convincing them that this is a good way. Because, um, you know, as um, Islamic Republic of Iran has um, tried such a long time in, in, uh, outside Iran, in the West countries, in America, in Europe, making a very strong lobbies um, like Nayak in, uh, they do in America. And uh, telling about um, telling the wrong messages, uh, which is not really what the Iranian they think, but a sort of supporting of the regime of Islamic Republic outside Iran. We have done it for several years, but look at it nowadays. The message is that they are not these uh, strong lobby of the regime is not what the Iranian people they believe in and they want. The Iranian people, they don't believe that the regime is to reform. They, they want only the 
regime change because they know there is no hope for reforming the regime of Ayatollahs. And this is what is happening when they are so strong in giving this message. The West countries, they are all uh, about to look at the, the right message that they are sending. But still, there is a problem. I am in the heart of democracy of Europe, and I feel this problem. A sort of uh, being afraid of these monsters of Ayatollahs is still alive in Europe. A sort of we don't know if this is a good way to um, trust and if the Iranian people can change the regime, if the Iranian people can be successful. Every time that they are um, doubting about the future of Iran and if they can make it happen, I tell them, you know what, you are also a sort of writer of this history. You have also the pen in your hand. Use it to write a good one because the Iranian people cannot do it without the support of the world. The Iranian people alone cannot do it if the world is going to continue to support those monsters of Ayatollahs and the regime in Iran. Try to write your own um, uh, piece of history and you will see they uh, uh, will prevail and they can change it. This is the discussion of uh, that moment, this moment. But like 10 years ago, the Europe and the West countries were talking about reform. If you see that they are nowadays talking about change of the regime, maybe it will be possible, then this is a very big uh, step that we have done it, yes, in 10 years. But everything will uh, take the time. And like, as I told before, um, this last six months, Iranian people has done a very, very big progress in the whole world. You know, this is very difficult for the West countries nowadays uh, to uh, ignore what the Iranian people has lost to obtain their freedom. It is very difficult for the Western countries to shake hands and not to be responsible for the bloods that Iranian people and young people and children even has lost in their revolution. Although the West countries still are a sort of um, talking to the regime and that they name it diplomacy, but I am guarantee you from inside, they know that the diplomatic uh, relationship with Iran will never take them somewhere which is safe. And they are getting closer and closer to the goal of Iranian people. And it means they can also see this regime is not changeable. There is no hope in this regime. Even they are still taking hostages, innocent people of European countries and American countries and West countries to make them bow to make them kneel, they see those things. The, Iran, uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran will never stop being a devil in the world. 
if the West countries want to get rid of these devils, once for always, they should support the Iranian revolution, the people of Iran, instead of making deals and very wrong deals with Iranian, uh, with the Islamic Republic of Iran, which doesn't help the future of the world and not the countries. Of course, in uh, this. Uh, to gain this goal, I have also done my uh, piece of beauty in the uh, Belgian parliament. And it was, um, I've uh, wrote a resolution and I have asked the government, Belgian government, to bring it uh, to the consideration to put IRGC, the Revolutionary Guard of Islamic Republic, on the list of the terrorists uh, in the European Union, which it belongs to. Uh, and this is very important. It's not um, a symbolic, only a symbolic um, uh, decision. It means a lot because IRGC is the, uh, the, the killer uh, suppressor of uh, this revolution of Iranian people. And not only that one. Uh, IRGC is the mother of or, or uh, the, the origin of um, terrorism worldwide. Uh, the proxy wars which IRGC organized in the region against the West countries, against NATO, against American army in the, in the region, all those proxy wars has um, taken a lot of energy and money from the West country. And it has taken a lot of innocent people as um, victim of those wars, like in Syria and, and, and lots of other countries. The support of terrorism that IRGC gives financially and every other support which it gives uh, for terrorist organization in the whole region and also they create themselves the organi uh, 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 the terrorist organizations. They uh, create the things like Hashtag Shabi in Iraq, like Zainab um, 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 and Fatimun in Afghanistan and in Pakistan. They support Hezbollah of Lebanon. They support even Hamas of Palestine. This is what they are doing with the money of uh, the, the West countries. So this is the reason that the sanctions are important against the IRGC. And that's why I, I brought this resolution to the parliament. And I hope that uh, with a, a time which is not a long time, because Iranian people, they don't have a long time, and Iran doesn't have a long time, we should decide very soon to put them on the terrorist list because that is what they are. And if we do such a thing, we are also writing the history in place of just looking at the Iranian people and say, oh yeah, but they are, not, they are still not successful or maybe the revolution is finished. No, this revolution will never finish and it is not finished and it will continue until we reach our goal, which is the regime change in Iran and having a democratic, secular country, which is um, a lot of prosperity there in Iran and in the region, and also 
uh, we as a Western country, we will enjoy the result of uh, the victory of that answer, I, I want to press you on something because there was a lot of very rich points I was jotting down as you were speaking. But one was this skepticism uh, of the Iranian people and, and how we can help tr- as, translate that Western skepticism into Western support, given what you mentioned, that there's a convergence of strategy and value and interest and ideology uh, in standing with the Iranian people. You know, you, you just elaborate in great detail the kind of things the Islamic Republic does uh, with not just sanctions relief, but with the wealth of the nation. As you know, there has been a slogan since 2009, uh, which I'll say in Persian, but uh, I'll translate for the audience, which is, which is not Gaza, not Lebanon, my life only for Iran. Uh, this this gives, I think, Western audiences a little bit of insight into if you have a different secular, democratic, nationalist, representative kind of government in Tehran, what the foreign and security policy would look like. If a lot of our qualms are terrorism, which is not limited, as you know, sitting in Belgium to the Middle East, it's in Europe. They've done lone wolf radicalization in America. The FBI is now talking about Iran working not just with proxy groups, but criminal gangs, which give them a global reach uh, around the world. Uh, you know, the IRGC Quds Force talked about after the Iran-Iraq war, its first operations being in Bosnia. So they're, they're all over the map on this, and they'll work with anyone you know, regardless of ideology in some way, to accomplish these goals, uh, which is quite scary given that for a very long time, almost four plus decades now, the Islamic Republic has remained the world's foremost state sponsor of terrorism. Uh, so this is a threat almost as old as the Islamic Republic itself. So maybe could you shed a little bit of light on what is the skepticism and the hesitancy you hear from either the EU Council or the EEAS, the External Action Service in Brussels, or anyone else, because there is a a wave of parliamentary support, not just from within Brussels, but within different national parliaments like uh, the German Bundestag uh, and, and other assemblies across the EU to designate the IRGC or proscribe the IRGC as a terrorist organization. There is even a wave of support from non-EU members. You know, there have been letter-writing campaigns in Australia, in Canada, in the United Kingdom. And still these governments have not gone all the way to sanction the IRGC because the hard work will come the day after those sanctions. It will be enforcing those sanctions. But still, these governments haven't gone all the way. Could you help shed a little bit of light intonate for us, why have they not done it yet? What's still holding them back? What's, what are they skeptical about? Um, there are different reasons. Um, one of them is the dots that they have for uh, the future of Iran. They are still not sure if the Iranian people can uh, turn up this um, regime and if they can, that they are able to turn their own country. And the second one, which I think is the most important, is um, they have been threatened from uh, Islamic Republic of Iran in different ways. And they are afraid, sort of, uh, they don't know if this is a good decision to make the monsters angry. I give you some examples. Um, they uh, are um, worried about the nuclear future of uh, 
Islamic Republic. And they think if they um, take a little bit uh, lower profile, they don't provocate uh, the regime to um, make a nuclear weapon against the West countries. And uh, other thing which is for them very um, worrying is that uh, Iranian, uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran has um, several hostages of every country. Every Western country almost has an hostage in the prisons of uh, um, Islamic Republic. Um, for example, I'll give you an example here in Belgium. Uh, there is an innocent uh, citizen, Belgian citizen, which is in the prisons of Ayatollahs. And instead of him, they keep it there to exchange it with one of their own terrorists, Asadullah Asadi, the man who has planned a terrorist act on the European soil in 2018 and which is condemned to 20 years. Um, prison in uh, Belgium. Now the Islamic Republic wants to exchange those that innocent uh, innocent um, citizen of Belgium with this diplomat terrorist of his own. So this is the way that Europe has always kept um, uh, in hand uh, by that uh, by Islamic Republic. They. They have always uh, something in their hand to make, to threaten the West countries, which unfortunately, the West countries, sometimes uh, they are uh, sort of worried about, uh, for example, I'll give you an example here. The government is worried about the, the life of that innocent uh, person, but also the people want him free and uh, the government doesn't come with a with a good solution outside, which is if you want that all this hostage taking, that all this terrorism on your soil in Europe and everywhere in this world, which is planned by Islamic Republic, is finished, then you should take your own responsibility, which is highest sanctions for Islamic Republic and highest support for the Iranian, brave Iranian people. Only through this way, you can be sure uh, that the world, uh, the security of the world will change uh, as soon as possible by the Iranian people. And only this is the way, and this is the definitive, uh, the, the, the only solution for um, making the world somewhere uh, safer, for all of us. And those are a sort of uh, hesitations that they have, but they still maybe have some hesitation about that. But as we are talking, they are much better than some years ago. And let's hope in some months uh, in front of us, they will change totally the, the mentality and they can see what the Iranian people can see, uh, which is the Islamic Republic of Iran can never change. Their ideology can never change. They are born as an enemy of Western country. and They will be always uh, against Western country. They want to uh, uh, 
to uh, eliminate Israel and they want to eliminate every Western culture everywhere in the world. So if you don't defend yourself, this can happen. But if you are strong enough to defend yourself with the power that the West country, they have, because they have the power, they should just believe in that power. And they just, they should just show it on the Islamic Republic regime. They can change the future of Iran, Middle East, and the whole world. Together with the Iranian people, courageous Iranian people, which actually do everything, uh, which is principle for the better future, democratic future of Iran. You know, you mentioned a, uh, a very important policy prescription that maybe I can condense uh, into a slogan or, or a theme, really. Uh, that was the theme of a conference you and I recently attended together here in Washington in March. Uh, and that was a conference set up by our friends at NUFTI, the National Union for Democracy in Iran, uh, where they unveiled this 15-point plan called Maximum Support. And that, that very important combination you mentioned, maximum pressure against the Islamic Republic, maximum support for the Iranian people. That really does seem to be the the, the critical way ahead. And uh, while there are still some folks skeptical on both sides of the aisle here in Washington and in, across the Atlantic as well about using pressure uh, in this fashion against the Islamic Republic, uh, that number, in my view, I think is dwindling because look at what the policy of restraint has gotten us. People said that Iranian drones were, you know, nothing a few years ago. Now they're Iranian drones, not just all across the Middle East, but they're in Ethiopia, Venezuela, and now used by Putin in Russia to attack uh, civilian targets in Ukraine. People used to mock Iran's ballistic missiles, but now Iran's ballistic missile arsenal is the largest in the Middle East. It is exceptionally precise, and they may even be transferred to Russia soon as well to also use uh, against uh, Ukrainian civilian infrastructure and other targets. Uh, terrorism is not just limited to Iranian targets or Iranian dissidents. Uh, many innocent civilians, many service persons around the world have been killed due to the Islamic Republic's consistent support for terrorism, as well as the threat that originated with the Islamic Republic almost as early as it was formed, which is hostage-taking. So these threats that you mentioned, they're all getting worse, not better. And the policy of restraint, particularly over the past two years here in Washington, have actually made the Islamic Republic feel more comfortable uh, to engage in these threats. Its nuclear program, it, they were enriching recently to 84%. Uh, this is a historic high, and it's a historic high not driven by pressure, but driven by restraint. And this is a very important uh, you know, note for policymakers to understand, particularly as we get to and have passed now the six-month anniversary uh, of these brave street protesters in Iran. What can you tell policymakers about these protests, particularly as there is a subtext to them as well, which is one of the famous slogans is Zan Zendigi Azadi, uh, Woman Life Freedom. Uh, it's largely believed to be a woman-led movement because it was triggered by the killing of 22-year-old Masa Jina Amini in, in Tehran. Uh, you talked uh, at length about the gender discrimination and gender apartheid that is an unfortunate fact of life, rendering half of Iranians, Iranian women as second-class citizens uh, in that country. Country. What what can you talk about there that intersects with another story we're seeing, which is the poisoning of schoolgirls and even now uh, schoolboys, 220 plus schoolgirls, uh, I think 
220 plus schools uh, hit with these poisonings, 1,000 poisonings reported, uh, and 240, 250 entire schools, not just girls' schools, I think 18 to 20 boys' schools as well as well now uh, happening. So there are even children who are now victim uh, of this regime. So restraint, in my view, seems to be only encouraging these guys in Tehran to do more bad things, more drone proliferation, more missile activity, more nuclear enrichment, more repression of the protesters. And now they're taking their fight to Iranian children, again, with the 1,000 poisonings that were reported of Iranian schoolgirls and the 240 plus schools where there were reports of poisonings. As you told, this is very important to uh, emphasize um, on that point, uh, which um, Islamic Republic of Iran and what they have done to Iranian people and their terrorist ideology and the way that they, they the way of life of Ayatollahs uh, won't only take Iranian people as uh, victims. It comes out of the borders of Iran. And finally, it is what's making the Western countries a sort of victim of uh, that um, in a, that regime of Ayatollahs and that, their ideology. So, um, but unfortunately, the West countries, um, because they are a sort of in an inactive uh, um, phase of their... Um, um, diplomacy with Iran, um, they make the Ayatollahs to believe that they can do everything, whatever they want. And this is the wrong message to them. Um, when you uh, bow, for, I mean, when you accept the things that they are doing without a very strong signal that it is not acceptable, then you encourage them uh, to continue the way that they are continuing, and it won't. No uh, solution won't be found, not uh, by the Iranian people, and of course not by the Western countries. This is uh, unacceptable. Uh, the West countries should every time take a very strong uh, position against those um, um, acts of ayatollahs. Even inside Iran, when the innocent children, they cannot go to school, then you won't have a country which is uh, good for the future of the world. And those children have lots of talents, but only because uh, the girls uh, has protested in this last six months in their schools because they don't want mandatory hijab, they want to be free like every teenager they want. They want to have a future in their own countries, not to go outside Iran like we should have done it. Uh, uh, and and they want to to build a country from zero. And the West country just support should support those Iranian uh, girls and boys at the school. They should send a very strong message. Unfortunately, when um, I asked it in the parliament, uh, Belgian parliament, about what are they going to do and what are they going to send a signal to the regime of Ayatollahs, which this is uh, not acceptable. Uh, 
the Minister um, of Foreign Affairs has answered that we have uh, no proof, no evidence, and we have asked for um, um, enquêtes for an uh, for uh, research. And when I told her, I cannot even believe that you ask the murderers for uh, um, studying about what is going on there. This is what they are doing. What do you want that they answer you in the uh, research that you are asking about this uh, schools? There are a lots of evidence. It's really sad because there are some people who seem to be falling for the Islamic Republic's latest stories on this, which is that they claim to have arrested, you know, uh, several people uh, who they allege were behind these plots. But in reality, uh, I, I, I assume you, like me, harbor great skepticism when the Islamic Republic says, oh, yeah, we arrested a few people who were behind this when almost certainly, given the level of this attack, how widespread it is, how seemingly systematic it is, that such a thing could almost certainly not have taken place without the knowledge or the tacit support of security forces in Iran. Right. This is really sad, but this is the game that now the world is playing. But I am sure that with our um, message giving, staying in touch with the politici- uh, po- political um, uh, ministers, like uh, the people who are running the Western countries, we can uh, inform them. And that's what we are doing and we want to do it. And the most important thing is that we believe in what we are doing is good for the future. This is how they should also begin to believe. And they know that the regime is a sort of um, uh, killer regime. They know it already. Um, the, the thing is that we should make them believe that there is another alternative. And this is, there is another future for Iran. And that's also what we are doing. I know that this has been a very long way. And it is very tired tiring to see how we are we are trying to make the eyes of the world open and sometimes the world doesn't want to see what is going on in Iran but I am also optimist because I have seen in this last six months a lot of change also in the way that the western uh, politicians think about Iranian people and think about the regime. If they didn't know or did they didn't want to know how mysterious they are, now they have seen it with their own eyes. Thanks to social media, thanks to those brave Iranian messages which came out of the country, the world has seen what they have done. The world knows what is good for the future of um, uh, peace and um, freedom, and they are they are beginning to act against this. And I am uh, sad to see some of the energies that we should just lose for nothing. But also I am very optimist about the future of this revolution. This revolution is the beginning of the end of Islamic Republic of Iran. And I invite the Western politicians to accept the future democratic and a secular future of uh, that beautiful country of Iran, which will be built with the 
um, uh, which culture of uh, Persian culture and which will be built with uh, the power of Iranian um, um, courageous and uh, brave uh, people who are fighting every day for their freedom. You know, I wanna I wanna be respectful of your time, but also thank you for helping us end on on a positive note. Um, you know, sometimes watching these issues from a distance can be very disheartening, particularly when you follow the day in and day out uh, of these news. But I I, I do want to highlight something for our American audience, uh, which is that oftentimes, and you talked about policymakers around the world. Uh, having their eyes open to the reality uh, of the regime in Tehran, the fact that it's unreformable, uh, how it treats its own citizens, let alone how it would treat, uh, you know, dual nationals or other foreign citizens. Um, there are several parliaments around the world today, and the EU parliament is one of them, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I don't know if the Belgian parliament is, but please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think it might be as well, that have adopted Iranian political prisoners uh, from this uh, six plus months of revolution as prisoners of conscience or political prisoners, correct? Right. Um, the the campaign on adoption political prisoners has been all around Europe. And also, of course, in Belgian Parliament, like uh, almost 40 of my colleagues, not only of my parties, also outside my party, they accepted to be a political um, parent and they accepted uh, responsibility of uh, one political prisoner in Iran, one or several, just symbolically, because they wanted to send a very important message uh, as I say always, this campaign has had enormous uh, um, victory of uh, making less victims. I don't say that we didn't give victims. All of the people who uh, were on the streets and were killed and uh, blinded and all of those beloved people who has been hanged uh, up, uh, they have been the victim of this revolution. But imagine if we in the parliament didn't do the campaign that we have done uh, for adopting a political, political prisoner, there have been lots of more executions in Iran after this uh, revolution. They, they um, began with two. The world, the world were in shock. Uh, they continued with two other innocents, and they couldn't not more sleeping and just taking those campaigns seriously has had his results. Unfortunately, we have lost a lot of people in this way, but we can never stop continuing this way because we won't accept that those um, blots has gone for nothing. And I was very happy to see my colleagues here because, you know, uh, some of the experiences doesn't come maybe in the tele on the television, but I have seen it because I was in the heart of democracy of Belgian parliament and European countries. And I saw how the heart of my colleague was relevant and was connected to the heart of Iranian uh, people. Uh, it was like a street between them, which has two sides. And that was the campaign which made them 
more believe and more be connected with their heart with that revolution. I can say we didn't know what what to do to stop those executions and support Iranian revolution, but that was a good campaign. They made them every time a sort of um, person which is responsible for one of them. You cannot imagine how they send me everyday message. How is going on with my um, political child? Uh, is she or he safe? Do you have any news from them? Can you please keep me posted? This is the way that we have tried to keep those people a sort of, to give them a sort of um, support. And it has worked. And I was so happy to see that my colleagues were very proud of the Iranian people. And what I have heard in this revolution is just being proud, not only we from uh, Iranian diaspora, no, the Western uh, politicians and decision makers, they have a lots of appreciation and they, they, they are so proud of Iranian revolution. And we have them with us, but just we should be strong enough to continue our way. And this is the way, which is the good way. And as you know, uh, the light will prevail. And Iranian people have, every one of them, they have a light in their heart. Uh, and we will be the victorious of their history. I, I think you put a very fine point on, on, on the imperative of that political adoption campaign. This is something, as an American, it, it kind of pains me to say, uh, I don't believe as of yet the U.S. Congress uh, has adopted uh, any of these Iranian political prisoners since the current round of protests uh, as a, a prisoner of conscience. I don't know if that's for legal or political reasons, but I would urge members of U.S. Congress uh, to channel the bravery uh, of uh, their colleagues across the Atlantic, bravery that you and other members of parliament across the European continent have shown uh, to actually adopt uh, some of these Iranian political prisoners, political prisoners who uh, have been protesting under the banner of things like women, life, and freedom. So uh, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your support. Uh, it's a real pleasure to have you on FDD's Foreign Policy Podcast. And uh, given the fact that this may be released sometime next week, uh, wish you and all of our listeners uh, a happy Noruz, Noruz Ahamegi Piruz. Thank you so much, Darya Jan. It was a pleasure to be on your program, Behnam Jan. And I wanted to thank you for everything that you are doing for a democratic uh, Iran. And I wanted also to uh, say that uh, when the nature is waking up, is the time to wake up. We all together, we can make it happen. The Iranian revolution will prevail and uh, no rules peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Foreign Policy. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us, preferably with five stars. Ratings and reviews help give us visibility and the opportunity to reach more people who seek to understand the most critical national security and foreign policy issues. Also, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow FDD on social media and visit our website at fdd.org.
There you can find research by FDD experts. You can subscribe to all FDD's products. You can catch up on any past episodes you may have missed. Finally, we'd love your feedback, your ideas, your questions, your criticisms. Send us an email at foreignpodicy at fdd.org. Until next time, I'm Cliff May, and you've been listening to Foreign Policy.